This is Wales. Bangor, Newport, Carmarthen, Rill, Bills Wells, Norfolk, Aberdare, Port Madog, Colgan, Bridgend, Aberavon, Wrexham, Merthyr, Neath. This is Wales. Can you hear me? Everything's gonna be mellow. 
Well, hello, Mike, and thank you so much. Oh, the, the, honestly, the pleasure is all mine. I've, I, I don't want to come across all fanboy, but I've been a, a follower and an admirer of yours for many years. La sangre es como los ríos que van tejiendo memoria Y así se tejió la historia de la sangre de los míos Del cerro hacia los bajíos se juntaron las corrientes Entre lluvias y crecientes, entre montañas y llanos Se reunieron mis hermanos, mis padres y mis parientes. De la Sierra Morena, cielito lindo, vienen bajando un par de ojitos negros, cielito lindo, de contrabando. De la Sierra Morena, cielito lindo, vienen bajando one I did in COVID. This is when I uh, I couldn't leave the house. I was connected, uh, contacted by a person in Michoacan in southern Mexico in Veracruz. Her name, Veronica Valerio. I've never met her. And this is a great record. I'm so proud of it. It was done during the COVID, but you'll notice the artwork done yeah. by Cloud 
Klaus Vormann, who did the Revolver cover. She is a harpist, and this is, uh, it's, what, what can I say? It's, it's, it's folk music. It's what I do. I, I mean, I find myself centrally, uh, at the age of 81. Yesterday I turned 81. <laughs> I, uh, I find my, my career, for say, if we could use that vulgarism, uh, I find myself really centrally a person who has brought uh, folk and idiomatic music to the popular arena and try to try to bring it into the archives. That is, if you write music down, you you preserve it for the ages. It's just one more way of preserving it. And may I please make a bleat to uh, to the stature of Welsh music? May I tell you something? This very that just an anecdote of my my long life. I'd say about oh maybe thirty years ago or so, thirty or five. It's a fuzzball. I went to uh, uh, Washington D.C. to do the uh, music for uh, Henry the Fourth Part Two Shakespeare, uh, a wonderful production at the Kennedy Center, and uh, with uh, William Hurd and so forth. Amazing piece of work, and it required Welsh music, and I knew nothing about Welsh music except what I had heard in How Green Was My Valley, a picture which is, if for those you apparently you know it, but for those. And in, in, in your audience who don't know that picture, who are Welsh, you should see the, the totemic value that this picture presents. And it, and it does sociologically, it does what I love. It brings class struggle and human rights and dignity all into focus. The laboring class, the income disparity, the cruelty of industry, the tectonics of industry and the natural world around, because I have driven through Wales, and I realize that it's one of the most profoundly charismatic countrysides I've ever enjoyed. It, it, it equates with West Virginia to me. That's a place that's also hidden in bosky dells and, and uh, intimacies of villages and so forth. So I went to Washington to do this job that I was not equipped to do, not knowing a damn thing about Shakespeare, brushing up my Shakespeare or, or Welsh music. And I went there and I went to, the first thing I did was I went to uh, the Library of Congress. It's a thing that the Brits didn't burn down. <laughs> and it's still there, unlike uh, Jefferson's library with his first edition, Shakespeare. Well, at any rate... Welsh culture survived, and there it was in a book I was privileged to hold with gloves called The Music of Wales. It was presented to the United States with a personal autograph by the young Prince of Wales, who brought it as a gift to, uh, when he visited President Buchanan in 1861, and it was to the people of the United States he wrote this 18-year-old, this adolescent Prince of Wales, presented this incredible uh, collection of Welsh music. And so I eviscerated that. I simply used the music of Wales to decorate this. And it, and it, and it was modest. It was this, we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, symphonic uh, splendor. We're talking about uh, the intimacies of maybe a harp, a woodwind, 
maybe a tambour, some some kind of uh, percussion. I forget, I honestly forget, but I do remember the harp harpist. I still have her name among many harpists that I have in my Stephen Jobs thing here. The harp being, of course, central to the connectivity of Welsh culture, history, and American culture. That is, uh, in terms of like uh, our our Euro sensibilities, uh, Appalachian music, and so forth, which is, of course, the uh, the, something of a Rosetta Stone to American culture, uh, this inherited uh, legacy. So I'm very, I'm astonished by uh, Wales' musicality. When I went later on to, to find, I wanted to meet Welsh people, of course, and that, but they don't pronounce themselves too loudly here. It's no, not common that you meet someone who say, "I'm Welsh," you know. No, when my son has a Welsh terrier, but that's what, but. When I did the, when I recorded that it means were produced, the S.O. Trinidad Steel Band in 1971, there were 28 men from Trinidad. They were protected in the United States something, somewhat. Though so I rode on a bus with them in the south of the United States. Uh, that was when I discovered America and what it really was to be on a bus with 28 black men and travel through the south of the United States was really an amazing uh, wake-up call for me. And I realized that all my extra musical, I mean, I'm not a musical dweeb. I work hard to do what I do. Okay, it all takes, I sweat bullets. I work hard. What drives me is social interests, people's hunger, needs, what's around me, what needs to get done to keep these people safe, fed, whatever. Those things collide in my life. And they've always instructed my next move. I have no five-year plan. What is my five-year plan? To love my neighbor as myself. I'm sorry. Don't mean to make you revolted. This is what I think we're here for, is to empower each other. That's why we have this thing, this opposing thumb, so that we can grab onto something and deal with it constructively. And to me, music is simply a tool to do that. This is what I do. So I ended up with a steel band. They were thrown at me. Nobody could figure it out at Warner Brothers. What do we do with this group? Well, Van Dyke likes folk music. So that became my odyssey, my adventure, my journey to see how another culture, a post-colonial culture, something 
some people who had benefited and suffered under a plantation economy that were coming out of it. Trinidad, I believe, uh, left the Commonwealth and uh, gained a nationality. Trinidad Tobago gained nationality, I think, in 62. I'm not positive of that date, but somewhere. So I was dealing with a, a new event. How did these people feel about the United States? How would they look at it? How could I get out of the box and look at the United States and without being a scold, try to illuminate people about how America could do better? So I embraced this culture. Now, with the steel band came a marvelous man, Father John Sewell, S-E-W-E-L-L. He was C of E, a wonderful guy. He'd, he'd put on what he'd call his wrath of God collar. And that would protect, that would get us in a restaurant. That would get us served in a restaurant, maybe. His wrath of God. And he taught me an expression. I can't remember. It sounded like, or something. It was like, nothing is good where better is possible. I said, oh, is that really, is that a Welsh expression? Yes, I've never forgot that. Because that was his dictum. That's nothing is good where better is possible. Some of the finest recording of steel band is in that record called the Esso Trinidad steel band. And uh, it's because father Sewell improved their repertory by dictating the notes of, of, of uh, legit classical pieces. So here I was everywhere from Paul Simon, Cecilia to like, uh, I am an ape man by Ray, uh, Davies, um, oh, incredible. This, the Kinks being my favorite rock and roll group. So I've had intimations of, well, Wales all through my life, but most impressive about how they have a signature in choral arrangements and they're an amazing appreciation for choral, for gathering together. And with this thing like if the mutual empowerment that you can't find anywhere like you can find it in music when people play together. This is what we're here for. It's not about me. It's not about the best song. It's not about the biggest uh, money. It's not about the wealth Olympics of the Grammys. This isn't who I am. I am not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the people that generate the music and what can I do to... uh profit in every way from serving that mutual empowerment. So anyway, I'm very impressed to be on your show, very impressed with the identity that you, uh, that is reflected on your, on your shelves behind you, that you have a great musical compass and yet you still come from somewhere. And I think, you know, right from wrong. It's really lovely of you to say that. (laughs) As I said, I've been a huge fan of yours for so many years and two of your albums are like anchors in my life and that's the clang of the yankee reaper which i think is one of the finest albums full stop and orange crate art which is a work of pure art and genius but you we spoke about music you didn't start showbiz in music did you You started as a a child tv star yeah no i was at a boy choir school and because of some deaths in the family I was the fourth boy and I was alone at home with the other boys who were off at school, at boarding schools. So they sent me off to a school, a boy choir school outside of Princeton, New Jersey. But my dad was a doctor. In those days, doctors would get up at 3 a.m. and not get paid for it and stuff. And we were not people of any means. 
And my parents had little money for tuition of such a school. It was like a big deal for me to be in a school where all we learned was music. If I would go to church, and I must admit to this day, if I go into a church, it's not the bubblegum under the pew that interests me. What is it? It's the music. To me, Bach brings God. I mean, I'm listening to the music. They can do the sermon there. This is all very good. But it's the music. And even if the music is out of tune, that doesn't bother me. I learned not to be arrogant early. My dad said, put your hands on the Ebenezer. My father, who had uh, been the chief psychiatric examining officer at the liberation of Dachau, was not fucking around. He was a so- sober man. And uh, he just told me to put my hands on the Ebenezer and not get my knickers twisted if the soprano was singing out of tune. So, but it's always the music, you see. to the school, learn music, all of it. I learned everything that had ever been possibly written. We went up, we raided, we raided New York City for the St. Thomas Boy Choir. The Vienna Boy Choir could come to town with their shrill, tinny intonation and, and, and acting all very cosmopolitan. And, and it just didn't amuse me. We, we got the jobs with Toscanini. We got the jobs. And I went to Carnegie Hall when I was 1955. 
I was in, at Carnegie Hall in a boy choir, one of many, many people on a stage, a piece of confetti. But to experience something like that, a why, I did it so I could make my tuition. I did it to make money. I did, I think, 86 live television shows. Why? Well, they liked me because, well, I could cry. If they wanted me to cry, I could cry. I could remember, oh, a dog died. That was easy. I start to moan. And they, oh, the kids, you know, the kid can fall apart on cue. <laughs> so I got a lot of jobs. Uh, serious actors of the greatest renown I met. Paddy Chayefsky, Maurice Karnofsky, William Soroyan. Uh, I mean, I was, I was on stage with, with people who in those days, there were no laugh tracks. If, if something wasn't funny, it wasn't funny. And uh, I was on a show called The Honeymooners, American star called Jackie Gleason, very important. And, and he could forget his lines. And I was right there with him. He avoided kids and dogs because they had, they could come up with, with stuff that he couldn't handle. And he couldn't remember all the signs himself. But I learned, I had the adaptability. I had the respect for the, all of the people around me. So many recent uh, European Jews uh, had fled the hatred and so forth of the, of the Nazis. And I realized everybody was serious and there was nothing darling about what I was doing. It was a work of service, and I was delighted to have the opportunity. Did 86, I think, shows as a child actor, but that was not what I wanted. What I wanted was to keep playing the clarinet. There's a picture of me with a clarinet, and my feet don't hit the ground. I wasn't big enough yet, but there were four boys in my family. I played clarinet. My next brother, who ended up as a Methodist minister, he played uh, cornet. Then the next one up, was my brother Ben, the youngest person in the history of the State Department of Foreign Service, by the way, my brother Ben, who died at the age of 20, the day before his 24th birthday in Germany. Then he played French horn, and he played it beautifully. He could play, uh, he could play that shit. The guy could play Strauss. He could, anyway, and then the my oldest brother, seven years older than I, Carson, who wrote something stupid you may have heard with Nancy and Frank Sinatra and the other, the recent other one, Robbie Williams. I know I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me. And if we go someplace to dance, I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me. Then afterwards we drop into a quiet little place and have a drink or two. And then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love I can see it in your eyes that you despise the same old lies you heard the night before And though it's just a line to you, for me it's true and never seemed so right before I practice every day to find some clever lines to say to make the meaning come true Then I think I'll wait until the evening gets late and I'm alone with you. The 
Time is right, your perfume fills my head The stars get red and oh, the night's so blue And then I go and spoil it all By saying something stupid like I love Time is right, your perfume fills my head The stars get red and oh, the night's so blue And then I go and spoil it all By saying something stupid like I love you At any rate, uh, my brother wrote a number one song. I did not. We would go out and we would play. Uh, and I loved playing with people. And I loved being the clarinetist because I didn't have a brass mouthpiece. And if you've ever been out on a Noel in a frosty evening, you know that brass isn't fun <laughs> in a lip. And I had a wood when I felt very superior with a clarinet. I did piano. I played piano. There's blood on the tracks. I mean, I work like a dog. I put myself through my efforts, and I mean hard work. I ended up at a conservatory of high rank and uh, with a man who studied with Nadia Boulanger in Paris and this, that, and the other big stuff of uh, exponent of Foray, Foray and Bach, and you should see the, the music paper that I have over there, yellow with age now as I am, and it with all these marks about every measure something missing here something could be better so i worked so hard on piano as well but i knew i would never be a pianist and uh, uh with when because i came out to california and i i learned what it was i could have been a studio woodwind player and i thought i'd get a job there but that didn't uh it didn't pan out what panned out was when i left serious music that is, I went to a place called Carnegie Tech, now called Carnegie Mellon. Everybody likes, they're called naming rights, folks. These people who pretend they're supporting the, the arts, who have abused them all their lives. Ex-record company executives wanting their names on the side of buildings where people are taught music. It's revolting. It's just another sign of this disease that I combat every day in my own life. That is of self-acclimation, how important I am. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a piece of algae, folks, and you know it. I'm an also ran in the music racket, but it has been a, a time of constant illumination for me and, uh, led to the fact that I, I couldn't be branded because I do too many things. And so that's, that's considered a disease, eclecticism. Oh, no, he did this, but he did, oh, no, you know. I say bullshit. I I was born in Mississippi. I don't need lessons of, of the Delta Blues from Mick Jagger. I'm not going to Wrinkle City. I've seen the stuff, you know. And so I will do something adoptive and reflective. But I can't say, I can't say uh, that uh, that I've 
despoiled any of these things, but I think I've excited interest in these arenas. That's why I mentioned that record from Veracruz. It means nothing. It's poetry. It's poetry that's alive and well right now. Poetry. The woman is singing poems. She sings incredible Veronica Valerio. I gotta tell you. I mean, it's, I just saw this as I walked over to the, but just this is, this is the stuff. Some record company put it out called Modern Music. It's on BMG, German label. Uh, They do jazz and so forth. But this, this is like music I've never done. Then this is what I love about each record that I attack. You can almost tell when a person, when an artist is getting comfortable in a, a certain groove. No, there's always, I've been a sense of exploration and discomfort in what I do. It's like, I'm getting used to this new arena. It's because I know that I don't know. But this this business about music, to me, is also an invitation to get out of the box. Instead of bemoaning, cursing the darkness of multilingual, multiculturalism, which we're all conflicted about, and, it, and it's because we want to preserve the past. We have roots. We have traditions. There are people who, on whose shoulders we stand, and who, and we want to pronounce them and reiterate them and bring them into our dreams. In the South of the United States, you go to, you go to lemonade parties on, in cemeteries, believing that every time you utter some, uh, ancestor's name, uh, an angel takes flight. You know, you, it's a wonderful thing to keep the culture, but we also have the challenge of not being afraid to to decorate it with other influences and and not be afraid of multiculturalism. In the United States, for example, and I don't speak fluent Spanish, you go to a bank, you put your card in, it says, do you want this in Chinese? Do you want this? First, the first one, it says, do you want this in English or Spanish? Spanish being the second. Hey, folks, get used to it. We're a, we are multicultural. Now, how are we going to treat that? I think what we do is instead of being afraid of 28 Negroes in a bus in the south of the United States, you ought to listen to some, some steel band music. Do you think they'll play musically, musically, and the names of the golden?
Sassafras 